This call is being recorded. All right. So um, thanks, first of all, for like being open to having this conversation in the first place. I just reached out to you kind of out of the blue. So thanks for taking the time. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, something about the request you made uh, definitely got my interest to uh, see what you've got in mind and what I could contribute to. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, you know, the, the question, what's the root cause of this in the first place? What's the, you know, another way to look at it is what's, what's the motivating factor or factors behind this? Um, is this, a, this being what? School shootings. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, my intent is to find a solution that gets to the, the heart of the issue. You know, I believe that all big problems start small. And, you know, I'm looking for a place to either support um, efforts that are already being done to address that issue um, or you know, do something new, regardless of finding that point of intervention where things haven't escalated so far to where greater interventions are needed. You know what I mean? So it's like um, finding these early places and spaces to do something is what's important to me. And as I've been asking the question, what's the root of it all? Nonviolent communication has come up and you know, I've read Marshall's book and there's hours of content on YouTube, thankfully. And, you know, that's been one, one thing out of, out of all the research that I've done, this is, gosh, this really starts to make a lot of sense. And, you know, that's what got me interested in reaching out to you because of your work in, um, and bringing NBC into the education system. And, you know, we can, we can put that aside for a moment or not. Um, curious to know just with your involvement with kids, what you might be thinking the root cause is to these school shootings that are happening. Yeah. Wow. I love, uh, I love big questions and this is one of them. Uh, first of all, I don't see school shootings as any different than other kinds of, uh, especially mass violence that's going on in this country and in the world. Um, to me, it's a combination of uh, individuals who are distraught, disconnected from themselves, uh, lost heart, uh, almost literally uh, uh, just beside themselves with um, whatever, you know, isolation, disconnection is going on, um, coupled with guns. So in that regard, I don't see school shootings as any different, you know, than a, a shooting in a in a large uh, uh, nightclub or uh, any other of these mass shootings carried out by troubled individuals who've been known to be troubled for so many so long and uh, not not attended to, and the uh, yeah and the ease of getting you know, ridiculously lethal firearms. Um, so that's the first thing I will say. I don't see school shootings as, as, as different. Um, I have throughout my career um, aligned with what I heard the, the Dalai Lama say uh, several times that we need to begin with the children to change, change um, this um, well, really society-wide um, disconnection from ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So people who are not connected to their own needs, not connected to their heart and to other people are desperate, um, miserable people. Yeah. And they will do desperate things, um, just not knowing any better um, how to uh, satisfy something that's so missing in themselves. Mm -hmm. So how does that... Uh, how does that land in you? Yeah, that that resonates. Um, when you talk about the disconnection of of their heart and themselves, can you say a little bit more about that? I could say a lot about it. A little is harder. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I've written books uh, basically about this that uh, we are not. You know, and here's where my work in schools comes in because um, probably more than any other subject we could be teaching in importance is um, social emotional learning and learning about ourselves, self-knowledge. And, and in that, NBC has, in my opinion, and my, and my research, the most, you know, perhaps the most to offer in that their concrete steps, their concrete um, ways to access information about uh, what's important to us, these universal human needs, what drives our behavior, how we can start to notice at an early age um, if we're out of control or, you know, red hot on the feeling thermometer or really cold and shut down, how we can start to track ourselves that way and then mediate um, our, our own nervous system to, um, to get our, you know, to get ourselves at a place of calm alert, a place where we can uh, actually make decisions about what to do next. Yeah. A lot of the, what you're saying sounds similar to like the CRIM model, the community uh, reliance model that I've been hearing a little bit more about. Um, are you referring to some of those concepts? Um, when you talk about tracking and um, mediating your nervous system? Um, I'm not really familiar with, with what you just referenced. I'm taking all of this from my, well, my understanding of, of you know, my own research in psychology and um, sociology and culture. Um, but specifically, it all derives from nonviolent communication. Nice. Okay. That's great. It's a mind, you know, some people call nonviolent communication mindful communication because uh, at its core, it's about uh, being alert to being mindful of our internal state and the state of others. Right. And then Marshall Rosenberg has really uh, laid out uh, a map of, you know, what, how to go about learning to do that and what to do once you are mindful of what the situation is within yourself, you know, how. How how do you how do you work with that? Mm -hmm. And do you see that as being the the primary way that we could avoid these kinds of situations is through the education of of this call it technology? Oh gosh, you know I think it's uh, there are a lot of things we can be doing, and 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 that's the one that I'm you know spent my my professional life addressing is how we can um, basically working with kids is easy because, you know, kids come into this world full of 
the main components of nonviolent communication, curiosity, interest, um, connected to a desire to contribute and bring smiles to people, to to keep learning, to fall down and get up again and not be a perfectionist, all these things we, we, we have early on in life. So if we can um, simply uh, not interfere with that by enforcing kids, by telling them they have to learn things in a certain way and then degrade them and make them scared of learning and all the things that the uh, one-size-fits-all government schooling does, does uh, to condition them to obey more than listen to their heart and trust their own uh, wisdom, uh, to trust experts over themselves, all that kind of stuff. And I'm being oversimplified here, but there's a lot to do to transform school systems. There's a lot to do to create connection and community instead of isolate people. Uh, it has to do with our economic system. There are so many ways that um, this needs to be addressed. So uh, for me, I've, I've chosen, you know, where my inspiration lies is with children and then really supporting their natural their natural desire to contribute, their natural wisdom in terms of how are you right now? What's going on in your body? You know, they can tell you that at an early age. You, you get them after they've gone through some schooling and they don't know because it, it isn't encouraged. So social emotional learning programs like, uh, like we do with NBC is, is a part of it. What age? Yeah, I know. I'm just like letting that all sit, and I'm trying to get like this picture of, of the age of the kid you're talking to. You know, my my first well, one of my first jobs was I was a daycare teacher for four and five year olds. You know, and so you you get this exposure to the intelligence that these, these kids have. You know, what what age do you see the 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 education that needs to be unlearned in order to establish that deeper connection with themselves and others where where does that start to happen well I, I, you used a word i think is critical unlearned how much how much false learning do they have to unlearn the longer it goes the harder it is why it's easier to you know work with young children than adults who have a lifetime of learning to distrust other you know people with different colored skin or different beliefs who have opinions who, you know, watch the news channels that incite hate, stuff like that. It, it tends to be, take a lot longer, but I, I work with all ages. I work with, I mean, I love being with, with toddlers and preschoolers and I've worked with all ages, elementary, middle school, high school, college, and, you know, up to all adults. So part of my work is also, um, I do a lot of work with teachers and parents, the people who have the most influence on the children. So rather than me going in and, and, and working with five-year-olds, which I love to do, I, I would prefer to work with the school, the school system, and the adults who have children in their care to, um, to model more than anything, to model respectful interactions, to model empathy, to really listen to children instead of just talk to them. Yeah. So that's my, those are some of my main teachings to parents and teachers. And, you know, as they become more mindful of their habits, which is a big part of the work that I do with adults, 
um, they start to see that they talk a lot more than they listen, mm. that they're hurrying through their agenda, whether it's to get to the store and buy the next thing or whether it's to learn the next math concept. And in, in their focus on their outcomes, they are not spending the time that children need to just be present and listen to their questions, to, to celebrate their questions, to explore things together, to learn together instead of uh, thinking you're supposed to be, you know, the, the expert here on how to do life. Yeah, what that last thing that you had said about just like taking the time to listen to their questions and to you know, really acknowledge them is kind of what I hear from that ties in with a recent conversation I had with a man named Richard Barrett. He focuses a lot on, he's written some books talking about values and focuses a lot on how values end up driving our decisions and the different points of development, you know, have different uh, values that we um, associate with more closely. And he was saying that for the kids who end up doing these school shootings, they're in this state of individuation and that, um, that really um, being acknowledged, um, being seen, being heard, this is um, the most important need that they have. It's a fundamental human need of recognition. And when that's not there, um, that can cause a lot of problems and challenges. And so um, how does that premise uh, resonate with you, first of all, before I kind of try to tie it to what you just said? I didn't hear all of your question just then. How does uh, what? Uh, how does that premise that the there's a fundamental need of recognition within the kids yeah. that are doing the school shootings that ends up being a big driver for them to do that behavior as a strategy. Yeah. And, and again, I don't differentiate, you know, what you're calling these kids who do the school shooting from other people who are, who are, you know, out of their own despair and uh, wherever their uh, neurophysiology is, how they're, you know, inflicting violence on other people. Um, it is a lot having to do with feeling isolated, which this culture that um, supports through the economics, through the school system, competition instead of uh, collaboration and community. Communities breaking down um, in a lot of ways, and that has to do a lot with technology too. So um, people are feeling disconnected for sure. And so and no one's listening. Everybody's rushing and talking and not really listening to one another. So there's a lot that can be done there at a community level to make sure there are places where everybody gets to be seen and recognized, as you, as you pointed out, and listened to. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's an epidemic of disconnection in this, in this culture. Yeah. And I guess that's associated with attention, right? Like where the attention starts to get fragmented away from um, humans and onto, you know, things or screens or what have you. Maybe there's something there. I'm just kind of speaking out loud right now. Uh, yeah, I think that's part of it. That's part of what, as a culture, we, we need to look at too. Um, you know, for me, there's some... Uh, uh, I'm also really in favor of spending as much time in nature as possible with kids and with ourselves because there's a natural rhythm and wisdom um, 
and connection to our animal body and and the rest of the world, the rest of the living world. That's really important too. And so many people and kids now are spending more of their time on screens, mm. disconnected from their nature, really, <laughs> from from most of it. And 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 meeting needs for connection and community on screens as well, instead of in live interactions with people. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. So, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. lots. There's lots of work for people to do in all areas. <laughs> you know, it's it's all interconnected here. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. This idea of just being aware of how fundamental needs are to the human experience was, it sounds funny to say out loud, it was totally news to me until I you know, got a hold of Marshall's work. And so um, I just wonder, like, when you talk with schools and you're working with teachers and educators, how receptive are they to this message? And then, like, how does that end up um, affecting the school culture and things like that? Yeah, I love that question. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, uh, interacting, interfacing with uh, real people and in in systems who are also, unless they're in independent schools, homeschools, um, private schools, uh, Waldorf schools, Montessori schools, things like that, which is mostly who I work with. If you're talking about the government school system everybody working there is caught in that system and they have you know just as their students have to jump through certain hoops by certain amounts of time get graded have to go through a curriculum that somebody else has designed for them Mm -hmm. everyone working in that system is is in is in that system and it's very difficult for them to um to do much else. I mean, at the same time, school teachers, pretty much anyone in the school system, we're again talking about the government, um, 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 the government um, prescribed, you know, system is overextended, usually exhausted and underpaid. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't get a lot of invitations from, from that arena. I do work in some public schools and, you know, the ones that I do tend to be also small and have some really uh, innovative leadership and they're very receptive. They get the needs. They, they, they love the vocabulary of basic human needs because like most of us, it's not something we were taught and yet it's so simple. And some people call them values, and I think some of the people you may be talking with, you know, are talking about the same thing, only using the word values. Um, though I see a distinction. Um, basically, I think Marshall Rosenberg really refined um, the language to make it more specific than than most people um, use for values. Um, and also very concrete. So I, mostly I, I, I start with, with universal needs. I work with five-year-olds and say, what does everyone on the planet need? And, and kids will come up with 
a basic list of human needs, friends and family and school and learning and play and and then they'll and and here's where we get into some key distinctions that are critical for the new leaders of this world, these young children or teenagers too, very critical. Uh, when I ask that open question, what does everyone on the planet need? Um, kids will say money. And I'll put that over on, on a special category here on my chart. And then we'll go into, um, did you know that there have been people on the planet and even now who don't use money? And they're, this is news to them. Mm -hmm. Right? But, but this is where the critical thinking comes in. Do we need money? And what, what needs does money bring? And can we actually explore a, you know, an economic system that might be handled differently without what we call money? Kids will say we need, I don't know, video games, right? And we'll look at that. Or we need cars. When I work in Southern California, they'll say we need cars. And then we look at, you know, what needs are met by cars? Are there other and maybe better ways we can meet the needs for transportation, adventure, um, connection without cars? So now we're getting into the key distinction between needs and strategies and how critical that is. Because in our culture, we talk about needing a new pair of shoes. We use the word need to talk about whims or preferences. Yeah. Right. And so that's, you know, so to really look into what do humans really need? And can we, the critical question, can we on this planet meet our needs together without, you know, without violence? Can we actually work together to meet human needs? Not, not, you know, excesses, but human needs together. To me, that's, that's the critical question we all need to address. Yeah. And kids can do it. Kids can do it. They're great problem solvers. Once you get to that level of needs and ask that question, oh, man, they're just full of ideas. Well, we could do it this and we could share that way. And gosh, you know, I don't need 10 pencils. Why don't, you know, I could give away five of my pencils and be just fine. You know, we, <laughs> that's touching into the, the human heart of... Uh, of, of it's joyful you know to work together that way kids are kids are great at it yeah that is beautiful that's, that's amazing that they get it so quickly too um you know it's like these experiences are so important that they're having with um, folks like you who are able to share this this with them um smaller schools more attention on 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 the kids and the, the outcomes are all p more positive when you have smaller schools in general. And then I think like juxtapose that with like these super large thousands of thousands of kids in a, like factory schools, I've heard them called before and where the, the teachers are overextended, the counselors ratio of like counselor to student is one to 400 or something. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I see this happening and think, where's the what's the path of least resistance to help in these situations you know well yeah I, I i share that question um so for many years i you know would uh, do trainings in schools uh in service with teachers and no i, I find a lot of reception once we get going and look into these things and the teachers who or have chosen that profession pretty much because 
Um, they care about kids. They care about learning. Um, they get reconnected to why they went into it um, and inspired. So we do intensive, you know, retreats in the summers to, to you know, and the teachers just get, you know, recharged with their, with their uh, passion. But here's the thing. Um, after I go in and do an in-service or even a five-day training, um, teachers go back to the system and try to integrate what they learn, something brand new and kind of counter to the system that they're in. And it's very difficult, yeah. almost impossible, or it becomes another feel-good weekend. Right. So that's what led uh, my business partner, Victoria Kendall Hudson, and I to not only write three books to pass on to the teachers, even then, you know, it's like, who has time to read books, right? These teachers, by and large, don't. And to then integrate something that's quite new into the routine and all of the demands on them is quite difficult. So uh, we became inspired to create materials that they could learn with the students. This developed into what we call the No Fault Zone game, a set of materials that we could use in the workshops with them. And then they can take it into the classroom and actually use the materials with the kids and learn with them. Uh, we invite teachers to be explorers of this work of inner space, knowing about needs and how to you know, to work with conflicts and the materials, the No Fault Zone game that we developed is designed for this purpose. So they can be, they don't have to be experts. They can learn with the kids. The kids can use it and do use the materials to sort out conflicts, to understand what's going on with them, etc. So um, this has been a real breakthrough for our work um, that we could leave people with with materials to to continue their learning wow wow that's great so imagine something like that being what would what a kid would do in in-school suspension let's say um yeah and before before the suspension right, uh, you see right. a kid that's distraught you know what's going on you know let's let's sort this out what's going on that's you know creating the red face and the clenched jaw and you know what's going on with you and kids can anybody in fact this has been a tool that's helped um uh you know adults who have said i don't know what i'm feeling they're able to actually access those feelings by um, responding to visual tactile materials wow I'm, something that I'm thinking about that too. It's like it, it creates its own container, right? Like the frame of the game is its own container to then have this different kind of conversation in a really accessible way. Yeah, yeah, I love I love the way you're you're stating it. It's exactly that. So now uh, some of my work is uh, responding to requests in other countries to translate the game. We have some li uh, licenses, people producing the game and. Norway, in uh, Istanbul, in, uh, in Europe, in Australia, New Zealand, which didn't take a whole lot of translation, fortunately, there, um, in Hong Kong, and now in Beijing. That's fantastic. And they're, you know, they're wanting to take it into schools, but also into businesses, because it's not just for kids. It's adults are also finding this um, 
framework, you know, uh, I can't remember now how you put it, but I liked it. It creates a frame that supports people to get to the heart of what matters to each of them, to themselves, to then um, work through conflicts too. Wow. Wow. So how, how are people finding out about the game? Well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> well, you're finding out about it. How did, did you know about it before I just mentioned it? Uh, just by looking at your site before. Actually, I know someone named uh, Craig Webb who mentioned you. And uh, so through word of mouth, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's mostly how. Uh, it's uh, we're not great marketers. Uh, we're educators. We're uh, craftspeople. It's like we're down in the cellar creating materials to support this work. You know, writing books and things like that. We're not. Uh, it'd be great to have marketing partners, and we haven't found that yet. So it's it's mostly word of mouth. Something I'll do as an action item is. Um, spend some time looking at the game. I'm sure I could, I could just buy it online, I assume. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, I'll get a copy of it and, and start to explore that with the people in my own social circle. And, you know, there may be some possibilities here that um, if I can't help directly, um, you get you in touch with some folks who can, you know. Um, the the spreading of of the thing is a big part of, you know, it reaching the, the people that you want, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we, we welcome uh, a lot of help in that, you know, our, our, um, our passion for it has continued over these years, even though we don't know how to really market it um, because the people who do get a hold of it, um, you know, just tell us these great stories of, Oh my gosh, you know, we've had this long, standing conflict, my husband and I, or my mother and I, and, um, you know, in 20 minutes using the game, think we really had a breakthrough, or I really got in touch with what, what was, what's been bothering me for a very long time in a, in a very short while. Not that speed is, you know, the most important thing here, but it has been a powerful, continues to be a powerful tool. Right now, we have, um, Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, there's a growing interest in Southern California for a Spanish game. So I think we, we are going to produce a Spanish game soon. So far, we have only uh, produced an English game, but then have these licenses with people in other parts of the world who um, definitely want to take it into schools, but in, in, into businesses as well. Yeah, I think businesses, it could be a really big impact, you know. Um, I was working at a software company before this and was the director of business development there. And so led about 30 people or so. And um, you find out really quickly how important culture is in the execution of anything you're trying to get done. And, you know, what has um, more of a big impact than getting a deeper understanding of ourselves than the way we interact with others, you know. So I think there's a lot there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that really speaks to me. It's a matter of culture. We're changing culture, which, you know, doesn't change fast enough, in my opinion, but I see it changing over time um, since we started this work. And a, and a classroom and a school is its own culture. So if, if young people 
have the experience of, you know, caring about each other, listening to each other, if they have, you know, empathy modeled, and they have some skills for sorting out conflicts, um, that will serve them the rest of their life. And they will take that, you know, knowledge and that understanding into, into the rest of their life. So schools seem like a really great place to start. Yeah, and it's happening. I see it happening. So I, I'm and was uh, actually what what got you on this trajectory moving from the corporate world to interest in schools. You know, I it didn't start off with direct interest in schools, but a, a desire to really contribute in what way I wasn't quite clear. You know, I. Um, can get real obsessive about whatever it is that I'm focused on. And so for me, that was work. And that is, you know, all I was thinking about and putting my energy towards. And, um, you know, that's just part of how I've operated. And I thought, well, if, you know, there was like almost like a little voice that that whispered and said, like, hey, what if you like moved all this energy, you kept this nature that you have, but just moved it into an area of contribution. And, you know, when you hear something like that, it's, it's definitely not one that you ignore. And so uh, I put a plan together to make myself um, in a situation where I could be financially independent. So I work about six hours a week or so, and that takes care of everything I need to, um, to be comfortable. And, um, you know, that, that took about a year to get in place. Once, once it was, I, you know, had about a, I don't know, a month or so of, okay, let's figure this thing out. And it, it wasn't an intellectual process so much as it was like something grabbed me. You know, the, in 2018, there was the Santa Fe shooting here in Texas, which is where I live. And when that happened, I saw the headline. I remember being on a computer and seeing the uh, news about it. And I, you know, was going to click on the link to find out what was going on. I was like, All right. And I had that moment of like, ah, okay, what else is going on? And in that moment, I just had this pause, this recognition that that's what I, how I was responding. And I, you know, I believe that we're 100% responsible for everything. We have the ability to respond to anything that comes in our awareness, everything that comes in our awareness. And so here I was responding by um, initially uh, almost on autopilot to like put my head in the sand and ignore it. And it was this big oh my God, moment of, you know, if that's how I was just about to unconsciously respond, you know, how many other people are doing that? And what happens when uh, we have a whole uh, culture of, of non-responders, of you know, everyone just kind of ignoring this, then this becomes normalized and this becomes the future that we live in. And, you know, I'm 31 years old. I want to have kids one day and I do not want them living in a world where this is normal, where we haven't, um, you know, figured out a way to address this issue in a meaningful way. And so, uh, you know, I I mentioned before daycare was one of the first jobs I had. And so I've volunteered with kids, um, you know, growing up throughout most of my life. And so even within my job, when I was managing people, they were all um, in their, you know, let's say early to late twenties. And so um, you see something like that and you think of all the, all the damage that's done when that happens and then all the potential that's, that's lost in, in something like this. 
you know, when you think about um, needs, when you're a kid and you're in school and all you're doing is focused on you know, have, having anxiety around, am I safe? Am I safe? Can I be safe here? You don't feel yeah. safe in the environment. How can you really focus on studying? How can you focus on what your future is going to be like and, you know, moving into a, a eventual state of self-actualization? So, um, so this really grabbed me and, and then I started yeah. uh, to spend the time on it. You know, I, um, are you familiar with Joanna Macy's work? I am. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I read her um, her three pronged approach for the great turning, um, holding action, system changes, and shift in consciousness, and you know when I read read that the shift in consciousness part, I just like started crying. It was like, it just like spoke to me in such a deep way, and mm. um, and so I I see that with the shift in consciousness we can you know, we can see a change in, in what's happening within our, within our country right now. So that's not a long answer, but you know, I, I absolutely am on board with us bringing about a world that works for everyone. And I see that more clearly now as a, as a world where all needs are being met in a harmonious way. And mm-hmm. I know that's possible. Mm-hmm. Mom, that's a, I'm moved by your story. Yeah, and 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 yeah, that 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 what, what you kind of called that critical moment to hearing the news about the school shooting. Um, that uh, I do think school shootings are perhaps having that impact on a lot of people. Uh, well, again, I don't see them as different in nature from other kinds of mass violence for instance but i do think they are touching people in a new way and maybe making more of those critical moments when you uh, as you so well described you know the uh, the first reaction was to go on to the next piece of you know bad news um the way our nervous system is being you know is really changing i think to be on high alert for you know whatever is exciting or scary or, you know, there's something changing in our nervous system that concerns me quite a lot. And it sounds like it does you as well. So to catch yourself in that moment, in that mindful moment and go, wait a minute, this is not the way I want to be interacting in the world. I want to pay attention to things of this enormity of this, you know, has such meaning and proximity for you. That actually inspires some, um, uh, I, I haven't found the word. I, I don't really believe in hope. I, you know, hope is kind of a swing from hopeless to, to hopeful. And I kind of uh, just really believe in doing what um, calls you. And that's also in your story that, you know, this, this call to action, this call to pay attention, to follow what has meaning and purpose for us without um, attachment to, you know, results. So that Buddhist perspective, um, to me, that's different than being hopeful. At the yeah. same time, at the same time, hearing your story of that critical moment and imagining that's happening to a, a lot of people, mm. you know, um, catching themselves and wanting to pay attention, pay full attention to what has meaning and purpose for them. Um, that uh, inspires something like hope in me. <laughs> it's, it, it's inspiring to me in any way. Uh, yeah, I just, 
then, then I can picture it. I can picture a lot of people having those moments of a wake up call. Yeah. And I think that is happening on the planet. And unfortunately things like school shootings are, you know, happening and being part of the catalyst for that. You can kind of on a, on a macro scale, see it similar to the way that uh, anger is framed in the NVC model, right? Where it's like, Oh, okay, this is a, this is an alarm bell that things aren't working. And yeah, exactly. So, yeah. At a, at a large scale, it's uh, does seem like a critical time in our, in our, on our planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the kids, you know, ha- yeah, well, that's a whole nother conversation I'd, I'd love to have with you, especially when hearing that you're thinking, you know, you want to have kids. And so I spend a lot of time with my seven-year-old grandson. And uh, so I get to watch him go through the public school system and, you know, come home with uh, certain ideas and beliefs that he picks up through that cultural conditioning and uh, and see his attraction to the screens and the games and pretty much all the boys toys and video games have guns breaks my heart mm-hmm. the day the day that we live by a, a beach here in Seattle and uh, you know he's grown up on the beach and playing with the driftwood and walking on the logs and the day a couple of years ago the day he picked up one of these big logs and it turned into an AK47 broke my heart mm. and I uh, and and actually that was a really instructive <laughs> that was that was a great NBC lesson for me because uh, I share it with uh, people in my workshops it was a moment when uh, well first of all it just broke my heart I and I understood that this is part of what we hand hand to boys in our culture is guns and it's really in every one of the Lego sets and the video games, the Indiana Jones, everything that boys are attracted to have guns and, and big ones. What are we going to do about that? And so I wondered, what am I going to do about it here with my, with my grandson who on the one hand, I'm holding these needs of, um, you know, being someone who listens to him. I always want to be here to listen, not judge, to uh, be curious and interested in his the world that he brings to me, that he picks up from his world out there and inside of himself to, um, yeah, so holding those values and also the value for freedom that I hold very dear, that he gets to choose how he does his life. I'm not going to make demands on him. At the same time, I have values around caring for life, caring for people, um, nonviolence, big value. So it's like I've got these hands outstretched with, I want to share my values. That's really important to me. That's part of my contribution to the world and certainly to my seven-year-old grandson is to share my values, share my wisdom, my experience for him to use however he chooses to and then uh, so what am I going to say what am I going to do here as I watch him turn you know sticks into guns and then he started taking his little lego 
people and throwing them against the wall here in my apartment, you know, in this sort of violent way. And I didn't know, I knew I didn't want to lecture him. I knew I didn't want to, you know, in any way indicate that what he was doing was anything other than exploring his world in the best way he knew how. Mm-hmm. So I, and this is what I, I've come to term NBC prayer. <laughs> I just held these needs because I didn't know what to do. And I held them for a few months and I watched him, you know, pick up the gun, the stick gun. And I watched him, you know, occasionally throw these uh, little people against the wall. And um, so this is when he was about four, I guess, four or five. And, uh, and then I just, you know, held my needs very close to me, not knowing what to do. And one day some inspiration came. We were in my apartment and he was throwing these, I mean, it's, this is not all he did all the time, or the inspiration might have come sooner, but he, he was throwing these little people against the wall. And, and it just came to me. I said, so, I said, so, Gio, you know, the way I see it, there are two games we can play in life. And he said, what are they, Nana? And I said, well, the way I see it, we can either play helping games where we work together and we give to each other and we find ways to have fun together. And to me, those are pretty fun games. Or we can play hurting games where we can use our words or our sticks or whatever and hurt each other. And as I observe that game, people end up crying and feeling bad and they're not fun to me. So I prefer to play helping games. And it's it's everybody's choice. We each get to choose what games we play. That was really important for me to get that freedom in there rather than it being a sermon mm-hmm. about the right way to live, right? And that's what had been, you know, that's where the inspiration came that I was able to somehow, I don't know, this idea of the games and the choice. And he looked at me and he said, well, I want to play hurting games. And I said, well, that's your choice. And if you want to continue, you know, with these throwing these, you know, people against the wall, then my request is that you go to the other side of the room. I have a very small studio apartment and I'm going to start cooking because that's more fun for me. So he went to the other side of the room and we could see each other. So it wasn't like a, you know, ostracism or, or anything. He was right there and. I could hear him because I was turning to the stove. I could hear these little people against the wall for about 30 seconds. And then I heard him walk up behind me and say, Nana, can I, can I cook with you? (laughs) Nice. So, you know, it's just one moment, but it was a moment where for me, I I then had a, a framework. Um, which has changed now. He's seven years old now. <laughs> you know, it's it's a new conversation, you know, which we have. But um, as much as anything, that was a, a moment of um, affirming that sometimes we have to hold on to these needs for a while before the strategy, the inspiration comes of what to do with them. Right. Yeah, you didn't jump to action right away. Um, and, yeah. you, and you also didn't ignore it either. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Because the action would have probably just been a quick action would have been based on old conditioning, which would have been, you know, it's not nice to, you know, guns are really dangerous. And you know, there are statistics and there'd be a whole lecture, right? <laughs> we know that one. Yeah. That's not the that's not the person I want to be in his life, or anybody's. So thanks for uh, listening to my, my story about my grandson is. But yeah, that's a that's a big one for me, you know, how how we change, uh, you know, and it's happening at different levels, the the sort of the whole, I mean, a lot's happening around gender, for sure. And uh, the old rules about gender, but the toys still are the same. <laughs> They're more pink and blue than ever. And, you know, guns and princesses still rule the toy store. Yeah, now, now girls can shoot people too. Yeah, it's maybe not the best um, way of channeling it, but it's like I do think that when, well, at least when you were sharing your story, when you talked about helping games versus hurting games, I started thinking, you know, having helping games that still channel that masculine energy. Um, I, I don't know how often I've seen examples of that. You know. Well, Chris, that's what I would love for you to do, <laughs> because I have not seen it yet either. But, you know, there are so many needs that those uh, violent games meet, you know, for, well, all the video games, for learning, for autonomy, for excitement, for challenge. I mean, there are all these needs. And, you know, I would love to see people making games, video games and other games that meet those same needs that are you know, we have 10 seconds till we blow up the planet. How are we going to prevent this? How are we going to take care of the oceans, you know, and stuff like that. Real, real challenges. Yeah. That seem like can tap into the same needs, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's like the need for novelty. There's uh, that, there's something about sort of that uh, warrior masculinity, that, that energy that's, that get, just gets end up channeled into into fighting when it could be channeled in a lot of other ways, right? I mean, the, the- yeah, it can be, yeah, exactly. We need that warrior energy. We need it to, you know, create solutions to big problems, you know, not to destroy everything. And you know, then we've got well, you know, there's so many topics we could. I you know I love seeing some of the the young people going into politics too and government. That's uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, really inspiring to see new yeah. faces, new conversations coming up. Really yeah, fun. yeah. So, yeah, just more of that. You know, let's let's keep uh, supporting those those traits, those skills, and conversations in children all we can. So I'm I'm delighted that you're joining in this venture yeah thank you thank you and having conversations with you know someone like you who has spent their time doing the doing is really important for me to to hear and it's important for the world to know that these things are happening you know um it's good to see the the counterpoint to these things that are going on Mm. Mm. yeah and you know and also i think (laughs) As I as I uh, am exploring old age and what you know what that is about, how to you know what have been my contributions or you know one of the contributions of 
um, older people this perspective, of course, you know, when even what, 20 years ago, when Victoria and I started writing our first book, The Compassionate Classroom, we looked for research and data to, to prove to people who are of scientific mind and need this kind of verification that relationships are important in a classroom, that that is an important subject of a classroom teacher, how to cultivate caring relationships. And we didn't find much. So we kind of had to make that, we made, tried to make that point um, anecdotally or, you know, just out of thin air, uh, thin air being really based on obvious things that we knew from being classroom teachers or just living in the world that relationships are important here and they need to be attended to and teachers can do it and can do it in certain ways. And that's what the compassionate classroom was all about. But, you know, now there's just, I mean, to see the growing uh, research around this, you know, the latest research on just the topic that you're bringing to this conversation about, you know, uh, violence and school violence, that the, there's a tremendous amount of research coming out now uh, pointing to, you know, this um, isolation and disconnection being the primary cause of stress and and violence, really, in on the planet. Mm. And why do you think people are more disconnected now than they were, say, 20 years ago? Oh, well, that has, you know, I think we've we've traced some of those threads in this conversation. Um, speed of life. Yeah. Um, uh, people moving away from personal family and community connections, you know, whether it was through the church or the small school or the neighborhood and uh, spending more and more time on screens. And the, you know, the dissolution of, I used to work in a bookstore, I helped build, a, uh, that was my first work as, um, as a publisher and a bookseller. Where do people meet in a community anymore? So, you know, Amazon's taken over all the retail business everywhere. The bookstores were some of the first to go, place where people met, talked, talked about ideas, saw each other. And now people are ordering their food online. Yeah. So there's no retail um, vitality. There's no community place where people see each other. I mean, I see that in Seattle. I don't know if you see it in San Antonio, but I mean, that I, that seems to be a trend, right? People are buying their food, having it delivered from Amazon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got to admit, I walked into... Um, I can't remember what retail store it was. And I just had a look and I just thought, how much longer is this even going to be here? You know? So yeah. And the implications of that are pretty significant. So having, having yeah. a container again, right. Some kind of place with some context around the, the purpose for meeting and uh, having a place to go to connect and share ideas is definitely going by the wayside. It looks like. Yeah. Or even see people. Right, or even just see humans in general, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's, yeah. <laughs> right. You've given me a lot to, to think about and digest. Um, 
I'm also really interested in how I might be able to help you with marketing and getting your game out to more places. So um, I'll spend some time taking a look at that and then how about I reach out to you with a couple ideas or you know, maybe just propose next steps or something. I would love that, Chris. I've really enjoyed um, talking with you. It's got me going too. A lot of uh, those big, big, big brain ideas. And um, yeah, that's the other thing that's coming through uh, the research and understanding of brain science, really helpful to this, you know, to this work we're doing and love to see kids, you know, learning how their brains work and what happens exactly as you were saying about about school when kids are afraid to go to school how can they learn well they can't yeah and the brain science is showing us that when when we're back in our our animal our reptilian brain trying to protect ourselves because we're afraid whether it's from school shooters or from uh, teachers who are putting us under pressure or grades or kids talking you know making snide remarks our prefrontal cortex is not available for learning. And that's the other uh, piece that we made, tried to make clear in our compassionate classroom. We have to pay attention to relationships or kids can't learn. Oh, wow. There's a great connection right there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I heard this framed as a wizard brain versus lizard brain in a book called How to Be Brain Wise. You heard of this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Such Such a resource for kids. Yeah, you have to have safety for learning to happen, period. So how do we make, you know, our communities safe, our schools safe? Big part of it. A lot of work out there. So I'm super happy that uh, people with your passion, your intelligence, and your youth are are working at it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. I just look forward to keeping in touch. Yes, let's do that. And I know that you won't be in uh, LA next month. I'm sure there's going to be some time that our paths will cross where we can meet in person. Um, between now and then, though, um, I'll drop you a line and we can keep the conversation going. Super. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you for everything you're doing. I really appreciate you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.